0: part sixteen of a collection of stories reviews and essays by willis ebert cather this librivox recording is in the public domain part sixteen ardessa the grand-mannered old man who sat at a desk in the reception-room of the outcry offices to receive visitors and incidentally to keep the time-book of the employees looked up as miss Divine entered at ten minutes past ten and condescendingly wished him good-morning he bowed profoundly as she minced past his desk and with an indifferent air took her course down the corridor that led to the editorial offices mechanically he opened the flat black book at his elbow and placed his finger on d running his eye along the line of figures after the name Divine it's banker's hours she keeps indeed he muttered what was the use of entering so capricious a record nevertheless with his usual preliminary flourish he wrote ten ten under this the fourth day of may The employee, who kept banker's hours, rustled on down the corridor to her private room, hung up her lavender jacket and her trim spring hat, and readjusted her side-combs by the mirror inside her closet door. Glancing at her desk, she rang for an office-boy and reproved him because he had not dusted more carefully, and because there were lumps in her paste when he disappeared with the paste-jar she sat down to decide which of her employer's letters he should see and which he should not ardessa was not young and she was certainly not handsome the coquettish angle at which she carried her head was a mannerism surviving from a time when it was more becoming she shuddered at the cold candour of the new businesswoman and was insinuatingly feminine Ardessa's employer, like young Lochinvar, had come out of the West, and he had done a great many contradictory things before he became proprietor and editor of the outcry. Before he decided to go to New York and make the East take notice of him, O'Malley had acquired a punctual, reliable silver mine in South Dakota. This silent friend in the background made his journalistic success comparatively easy. He had figured out, when he was a rich nobody in Nevada, that the quickest way to cut into the known world was through the printing press. He arrived in New York, bought a highly respectable publication, and turned it into a red-hot magazine of protest, which he called the outcry. He knew what the West wanted, and it proved to be what everybody secretly wanted. In six years he had done the thing that had hitherto seemed impossible built up a national weekly out on the newsstands the same day in new york and san francisco a magazine the people howled for a moving picture film of their real tastes and interests o'malley bought the outcry to make a stir not to make a career but he had got built into the thing more than he ever intended it had made him a public man and put him into politics he found the publicity game diverting and it held him longer than any other game had ever done he had built up around him an organization of which he was somewhat afraid and with which he was vastly bored on his staff there were five famous men and he had made every one of them at first it amused him to manufacture celebrities he found he could take an average reporter from the daily press give him a line to follow, a trust to fight, a vice to expose. This was all in that good time when people were eager to read about their own wickedness, and in two years the reporter would be recognized as an authority. Other people—Napoleon, Disraeli, Sarah Bernhardt—had discovered that advertising would go a long way but marcus o'malley discovered that in america it would go all the way as far as you wished to pay its passage any human countenance plastered in three sheet posters from sea to sea would be revered by the american people The strangest thing was that the owners of these grave countenances, staring at their own faces on newsstands and billboards, fell to venerating themselves, and even he, O'Malley, was more or less constrained by these reputations that he had created out of cheap paper and cheap ink. Constraint was the last thing O'Malley liked. The most engaging and unusual thing about the man was that he couldn't be fooled by the success of his own methods, and no amount of recognition could make a stuffed shirt of him. No matter how much he was advertised as a great medicine man in the councils of the nation, he knew that he was a born gambler and a soldier of fortune he left his dignified office to take care of itself for a good many months of the year while he played about on the outskirts of social order he liked being a great man from the east in rough-and-tumble western cities where he had once been merely an unconsidered spender o'malley's long absences constituted one of the supreme advantages of ardessa devine's position when he was at his post her duties were not heavy but when he was giving balls in goldfield nevada she lived an ideal life she came to the office every day indeed to forward such of O'Malley's letters as she thought best to attend to his club notices and tradesmen's bills and to taste the sense of her high connections the great men of the staff were all about her as contemplative as buddhas in their private offices each meditating upon the particular trust or form of vice confided to his care thus surrounded ardessa had a pleasant sense of being at the heart of things it was like a mental massage exercise without exertion she read and she embroidered her room was pleasant and she liked to be seen at ladylike tasks and to feel herself a graceful contrast to the crude girls in the advertising and circulation departments across the hall the younger stenographers who had to get through with the enormous office correspondence and who rushed about from one editor to another with wire baskets full of letters made faces as they passed ardessa's door and saw her cool and cloistered daintily plying her needle but no matter how hard the other stenographers were driven no one not even one of the five oracles of the staff dared dictate so much as a letter to ardessa like a sultan's bride she was inviolate in her lord's absence she had to be kept for him naturally the other young women employed in the outcry offices disliked miss devine they were all competent girls trained in the exacting methods of modern business and they had to make good every day in the week had to get through with a great deal of work or lose their position o'malley's private secretary was a mystery to them her exemptions and privileges her patronizing remarks formed an exhaustless subject of conversation at the lunch hour ardessa had indeed as they knew she must have a kind of purchase on her employer when o'malley first came to new york to break into publicity he engaged miss devine upon the recommendation of the editor whose ailing publication he bought and rechristened that editor was a conservative scholarly gentleman of the old school who was retiring because he felt out of place in the world of brighter breezier magazines that had been flowering since the new century came in he believed that in this vehement world young o'malley would make himself heard and that miss devine's training in an editorial office would be of use to him when o'malley first sat down at a desk to be an editor all the cards that were brought in looked pretty much alike to him ardessa was at his elbow she had long been steeped in literary distinctions and in the social distinctions which used to count for much more than they do now she knew all the great men all the nephews and clients of great men she knew which must be seen which must be made welcome and which could safely be sent away she could give o'malley on the instant the former rating in magazine offices of nearly every name that was brought in to him she could give him an idea of the man's connections of the price his work commanded and insinuate whether he ought to be met with the old punctiliousness or with the new joviality she was useful in explaining to her employer the significance of various invitations and the standing of clubs and associations at first she was virtually the social mentor of the bullet-headed young westerner who wanted to break into everything the solitary person about the office of the humming new magazine who knew anything about the editorial traditions of the eighties and nineties which antiquated as they now were gave an editor as o'malley said a background despite her indolence ardessa was useful to o'malley as a social reminder she was the card catalogue of his ever-changing personal relations o'malley went in for everything and got tired of everything that was why he made a good editor after he was through with people ardessa was very skilful in covering his retreat she read and answered the letters of admirers who had begun to bore him when great authors who had been dined and feted the month before were suddenly left to cool their heels in the reception-room Thrown upon the suave hospitality of the grand old man at the desk it was ardessa who went out and made soothing and plausible explanations as to why the editor could not see them she was the brake that checked the too eager neophyte the emollient that eased the severing of relationships the gentle extinguisher of the lights that failed when there were no longer messages of hope and cheer to be sent to ardent young writers and reformers Ardessa delivered, as sweetly as possible, whatever messages were left. In handling these people, with whom O'Malley was quite through, Ardessa had gradually developed an industry which was immensely gratifying to her own vanity. Not only did she not crush them, she even fostered them a little. She continued to advise them in the reception room, and personally received their manuscripts long after O'Malley had declared that he would never read another line they wrote she let them outline their plans for stories and articles to her promising to bring these suggestions to the editor's attention she denied herself to nobody was gracious even to the shakespeare bacon man the perpetual motion man the travel article man the ghosts which haunt every magazine office the writers who had had their happy hour of O'Malley's favour kept feeling that ardessa might reinstate them she answered their letters of inquiry in her most polished and elegant style and even gave them hints as to the subjects in which the restless editor was or was not interested at the moment she feared it would be useless to send him an article on how to trap lions because he had just bought an article on elephant shooting in mahuba land and etc so when o'mally plunged into his office at eleven thirty on this the fourth day of may having just got back from three days fishing he found ardessa in the reception-room surrounded by a little court of discards this was annoying for he always wanted his stenographer at once Telling the office boy to give her a hint that she was needed, he threw off his hat and topcoat and began to race through the pile of letters Ardessa had put on his desk. When she entered, he did not wait for her polite inquiries about his trip, but broke in at once. "'What is that fellow who writes about Fossey Jaw still hanging around here for? I don't want any articles on Fossey Jaw, and if I did, I wouldn't want his.' he has just sold an article on the match industry to the new age mr o'malley ardessa replied as she took her seat at the editor's right why does he have to come and tell us about it we've nothing to do with the new age and that prison reform guy what's he loafing about for ardessa bridled you remember mr o'malley he brought letters of introduction from governor harper the reform governor of mississippi o'malley jumped up "'kicking over his waste-basket in his impatience. "'Oh, that was months ago. "'I went through his letters and went through him, too. "'He hasn't got anything we want. "'I've been through with Governor Harper a long while. "'We're asleep at the switch in here, "'and let me tell you, if I catch sight "'of that causes of blindness in babies, woman, "'around here again, I'll do something violent. "'Clear them out, Miss Devine, clear them out. "'We need a traffic policeman in this office.' "'Have you got that article on stealing our national water-power ready for me?' Uh, "'Mr. Gerard took it back to make modifications. He gave it to me at noon on Saturday, just before the office closed. I will have it ready for you to-morrow morning, Mr. O'Malley, if you have not too many letters for me this afternoon,' Ardessa replied pointedly holy mike muttered o'malley we need a traffic policeman for the staff too gerard's modified that thing half a dozen times already why don't they get accurate information in the first place he began to dictate his morning mail walking briskly up and down the floor by way of giving his stenographer an energetic example her indolence and her ladylike deportment weighed on him he wanted to take her by the elbows and run her around the block He didn't mind that she loafed when he was away but it was becoming harder and harder to speed her up when he was on the spot he knew his correspondence was not enough to keep her busy so when he was in town he made her type his own breezy editorials and various articles by members of his staff transcribing editorial copy is always laborious and the only way to make it easy is to farm it out this ardessa was usually clever enough to do when she returned to her own room after o'malley had gone out to lunch ardessa rang for an office-boy and said languidly james call becky please in a moment a thin tense-faced hebrew girl of eighteen or nineteen came rushing in carrying a wire basket full of typewritten sheets she was as gaunt as a plucked spring chicken and her cheap gaudy clothes might have been thrown on her She looked as if she were running to catch a train, and in mortal dread of missing it. While Miss Devine examined the pages in the basket, Becky stood with her shoulders drawn up and her elbows drawn in, apparently trying to hide herself in her insufficient open-work waist. Her wild, black eyes followed Miss Devine's hands desperately. Ardessa sighed this seems to be very smeary copy again becky you don't keep your mind on your work and so you have to erase continually becky spoke up in wailing self-vindication ain't that miss devine it's so many hard words he uses that i have to be at the dictionary all the time look look she produced a bunch of manuscript faintly scrawled in pencil and thrust it under ardessa's eyes he won't write out the words at all he just begins a word and then makes ways for you to guess oh, i see you haven't always guessed correctly becky said ardessa with a weary smile there are a great many words here that would surprise mr gerard i am afraid and the inserts becky persisted how is anybody to tell where they go miss Mine? it's mostly inserts see all over the top and sides and back ardessa turned her head away don't claw the pages like that, Becky. You make me nervous. Mr Gerard has not time to dot his I's and cross his T's. This is what we keep copyists for. I will correct these sheets for you. It would be terrible if Mr O'Malley saw them, and then you can copy them over again. It must be done by tomorrow morning, so you may have to work late. See that your hands are clean and dry, and then you will not smear it. "'Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Miss Devine. Will you tell the janitor, please, it's all right if I have to stay? He was cross, because I was here Saturday afternoon doing this. He said it was a holiday, and when everybody else was gone, I ought to—' "'That will do, Becky. Yes, I will speak to the janitor for you. You may go to lunch now.' Becky turned on one heel, and then swung back. "'Miss Devine,' she said anxiously, "'will it be all right if I get white shoes for now?' ardessa gave her kind consideration for office-wear you mean no becky with only one pair you could not keep them properly clean and black shoes are much less conspicuous tan if you prefer becky looked down at her feet they were too large and her skirt was as much too short as her legs were too long nearly all the girls i know wear what shoes to business she pleaded they are probably little girls who work in factories or department stores, and that is quite another matter. Since you raised the question, Becky, I ought to speak to you about your new waist. Don't wear it to the office again, please. Those cheap open work waists are not appropriate in an office like this. They are all very well for little chorus girls, but Miss Kalski wears expensive waists to business more open than this and jewelry. Odessa interrupted her face grew hard miss kalski she said coldly works for the business department you are employed in the editorial offices there is a great difference you see becky i might have to call you in here at any time when a scientist or a great writer or the president of a university is here talking over editorial matters and such clothes as you have on today would make a bad impression nearly all our connections are with important people of that kind and we ought to be well but quietly dressed yes mr vine thank you becky gasped and disappeared heaven knew she had no need to be further impressed with the greatness of the outcry office during the year and a half she had been there she had never ceased to tremble she knew the prices all the authors got as well as miss devine did and everything seemed to her to be done on a magnificent scale she hadn't a good memory for long technical words but she never forgot dates or prices or initials or telephone numbers becky felt that her job depended on miss devine and she was so glad to have it that she scarcely realized she was being bullied besides she was grateful for all that she had learned from ardessa ardessa had taught her to do most of the things that she was supposed to do herself becky wanted to learn she had to learn that was the train she was always running for her father isaac teitelbaum the tailor who pressed miss devine's skirts and kept her ladylike suits in order had come to his client two years ago and told her he had a bright girl just out of a commercial high school He implored Ardessa to find some office position for his daughter. Ardessa told an appealing story to O'Malley and brought Becky into the office at a salary of six dollars a week to help with the copying and to learn business routine. When Becky first came, she was as ignorant as a young savage. She was rapid in her shorthand and typing, but a Kaffir girl would have known as much about the English language nobody ever wanted to learn more than becky she fairly wore the dictionary out she dug up her old school grammar and worked over it at night she faithfully mastered miss devine's fussy system of punctuation there were eight children at home younger than becky and they were all eager to learn They wanted to get their mother out of the three dark rooms behind the tailor-shop, and to move into a flat upstairs, where they could, as Becky said, live private. The young Teitelbaums doubted their father's ability to bring this change about, for the more things he declared himself ready to do in his window placards, the fewer were brought to him to be done. Dying, cleaning, ladies' furs remodeled. It did no good rebecca was out to improve herself as her father had told her she must ardessa had easy way with her it was one of those rare relationships from which both persons profit the more becky could learn from ardessa the happier she was and the more ardessa could unload on becky the greater was her contentment she easily broke becky of the gum-chewing habit taught her to walk quietly to efface herself at the proper moment and to hold her tongue becky had been raised to eight dollars a week but she didn't care half so much about that as she did about her own increasing efficiency the more work miss devine handed over to her the happier she was and the faster she was able to eat it up she tested and tried herself in every possible way she now had full confidence that she would surely one day be a high-priced stenographer, a real business woman. Becky would have corrupted a really industrious person, but a bilious temperament like Ardessa's couldn't make even a feeble stand against such willingness. Ardessa had grown soft, and had lost the knack of turning out work. Sometimes, in her importance and serenity, she shivered, what if o'mally should die and she were thrust out into the world to work in competition with the brazen competent young women she saw about her everywhere she believed herself indispensable but she knew that in such a mischanceful world as this the very powers of darkness might rise to separate her from this pearl among jobs when becky came in from lunch she went down the long hall to the washroom where all the little girls who worked in the advertising and circulation departments kept their hats and jackets there were shelves and shelves of bright spring hats piled on top of one another all as stiff as sheet-iron and trimmed with gay flowers at the marble washstand stood rena kalski the right bower of the business manager polishing her diamond rings with a nail-brush Hello, kid, she called over her shoulder to Becky. I've got a ticket for you for Thursday afternoon. Becky's black eyes glowed, but the strained look on her face drew tighter than ever. I'll never ask her, Miss Kalski, she said rapidly. I don't dare. I have to stay late tonight again, and I know she'd be hard to please after if I was to try to get off on a weekday. I thank you, Miss Kalski, but I would better not miss kalski laughed she was a slender young hebrew handsome in an impudent tenderloin sort of way with a small head reddish-brown almond eyes a trifle tilted a rapacious mouth and a beautiful chin ain't you under that woman's thumb though call her bluff she isn't half the prima donna she thinks she is on my side of the hall we know who's who about this place the business and editorial departments of the outcry were separated by a long corridor and a great contempt. Miss Kalski dried her rings with tissue paper and studied them with an appraising eye. "'Well, since you're such a fraidy-calf,' she went on, "'maybe I can get a rise out of her myself. Now, I've got you a ticket out of that shirt-front. I want you to go. I'll drop in on Divine this afternoon.' When Miss Kalski went back to her desk in the business manager's private office, she turned to him familiarly, but not impertinently, Mr. Henderson, I want to send a kid over in the editorial stenographers to the palace Thursday afternoon. She's a nice kid, only she's scared out of her skin all the time. Miss Devine's her boss, and she'll be just mean enough not to let the young one off. Would you say a word to her? the business manager lit a cigar i'm not saying words to any of the highbrows over there try it out with divine yourself you're not bashful miss Kolski shrugged her shoulders and smiled oh very well she serpentined out of the room and crossed the rubicon into the editorial offices she found ardessa typing o'malley's letters and wearing a pained expression good afternoon miss devine she said carelessly can we borrow becky over there for thursday afternoon we're short miss devine looked piqued and tilted her head i don't think it's customary miss kalski for the business department to use our people we never have girls enough here to do the work of course if mr henderson feels justified thanks awfully miss devine miss kalski interrupted her with the perfectly smooth good-natured tone which never betrayed a hint of the scorn every line of her sinuous figure expressed i will tell mr henderson perhaps we can do something for you some day whether this was a threat a kind wish or an insinuation no mortal could have told miss kalski's face was always suggesting insolence without being quite insolent As she returned to her own domain, she met the cashier's head clerk in the hall. "'That divine woman's a crime,' she murmured. The head clerk laughed tolerantly. That afternoon, as Miss Kalski was leaving the office at 5.15, on her way down the corridor, she heard a typewriter clicking away in the empty, echoing editorial offices. She looked in and found Becky bending forward over the machine, as if she were about to swallow it hello kid do you sleep with that she called she walked up to becky and glanced at her copy what do you let em keep you up nights over that stuff for she asked contemptuously the world wouldn't suffer if that stuff never got printed rebecca looked up wildly not even miss kalski's french pansy hat or her earrings and landscape veil could loosen becky's tenacious mind from mr gerrard's article on water power she scarcely knew what miss kalski had said to her certainly not what she meant but i must make progress already miss kalski she panted miss kalski gave her low siren laugh i should say you must she ejaculated ardessa decided to take her vacation in june and she arranged that miss milligan should do o'malley's work while she was away miss milligan was blunt and noisy rapid and inaccurate It would be just as well for o'malley to work with a coarse instrument for a time he would be more appreciative perhaps of certain qualities to which he had seemed insensible of late ardessa was to leave for east hampton on sunday and she spent saturday morning instructing her substitute as to the state of the correspondence at noon o'malley burst into her room all the morning he had been closeted with a new writer of mystery stories just over from england can you stay and take my letters this afternoon miss devine you're not leaving until tomorrow. ardessa pouted and tilted her head at the angle he was tired of i'm sorry mr o'malley but i've left all my shopping for this afternoon i think becky teitelbaum could do them for you i will tell her to be careful oh all right o'malley bounced out with a reflection of ardessa's disdainful expression on his face saturday afternoon was always a half-holiday to be sure but since she had weeks of freedom when he was away however at two o'clock becky teitelbaum appeared at his door clad in the sober office suit which miss devine insisted she should wear her notebook in her hand and so frightened that her fingers were cold and her lips were pale she had never taken dictation from the editor before it was a great and terrifying occasion sit down he said encouragingly he began dictating while he shook from his bag the manuscripts he had snatched away from the amazed english author that morning Presently, he looked up. "'Do I go too fast?' "'No, sir,' Becky found strength to say. At the end of an hour, he told her to go and type as many of the letters as she could, while he went over the bunch of stuff he had torn from the Englishman. He was with the Hindu detective in an opium den in Shanghai when Becky returned and placed a pile of papers on his desk. "'How many?' he asked, without looking up. "'All you gave me, sir.' all oh, so soon uh, wait a minute and let me see how many mistakes he went over the letters rapidly signing them as he read Oh, they seem to be all right i thought you were the girl that made so many mistakes rebecca was never too frightened to vindicate herself mr o'malley sir i don't make mistakes with letters it's only copying the articles that have so many long words and when the writing isn't plain like mr gerard's I never make many mistakes with mr johnson's articles or with yours i don't o'mally wheeled round in his chair looked with curiosity at her long tense face her black eyes and straight brows oh so you sometimes copy articles do you how does that happen yes sir always miss devine gives me the articles to do it's good practice for me i see O'Malley shrugged his shoulders. He was thinking that he could get a rise out of the whole American public any day easier than he could get a rise out of Ardessa. What editorials of mine have you copied lately, for instance? Rebecca blazed out at him, reciting rapidly, Oh, a word about the Rosenbaum's? Useless Navy Yards? Who killed Cock Robin? Wait a minute. O'Malley checked her flow. What was that one about? Cock Robin? It was all about why the secretary of the interior dismissed oh all right all right copy those letters and put them down the chute as you go out come in here for a minute on monday morning becky hurried home to tell her father that she had taken the editor's letters and had made no mistakes on monday she learned that she was to do O'Malley's work for a few days he disliked miss milligan and he was annoyed with ardessa for trying to put her over on him when there was better material at hand with rebecca he got on very well she was impersonal unreproachful and she fairly panted for work everything was done almost before he told her what he wanted she raced ahead with him it was like riding a good modern bicycle after pumping along on an old hard tire on the day before miss devine's return o'malley strolled over for a chat with the business office henderson your people are taking vacations now i suppose could you use an extra girl if it's that thin black one i can o'malley gave him a wise smile it isn't to be honest i want to put one over on you i want you to take miss devine over here for a while and speed her up i can't do anything she's got the upper hand of me i don't want to fire her you understand but she makes my life too difficult it's my fault of course i've pampered her give her a chance over here maybe she'll come back you can be firm with them, can't you henderson glanced toward the desk where miss kalski's lightning eye was skimming over the printing-house bills that he was supposed to verify himself well if i can't i know who can he replied with a chuckle exactly O'Malley agreed i'm counting on the force of miss kalski's example miss devine's all right miss kalski but she needs regular exercise she owes it to her complexion i can't discipline people miss kalski's only reply was a low indulgent laugh O'Malley braced himself on the morning of ardessa's return he told the waiter at his club to bring him a second pot of coffee and to bring it hot he was really afraid of her when she presented herself at his office at ten-thirty he complimented her upon her tan and asked about her vacation then he broke the news to her we want to make a few temporary changes around here miss devine for the summer months the business department is short of help henderson is going to put miss kalski on the books for a while to figure out some economies for him and he's going to take you over MEANTIME, I'LL GET BECKY BROKEN IN SO THAT SHE COULD TAKE YOUR WORK IF YOU WERE SICK OR ANYTHING. ARDESSA DREW HERSELF UP. I'VE NOT BEEN ACCUSTOMED TO COMMERCIAL WORK, MR. O'MALLEY. I'VE NO INTEREST IN IT, AND I DON'T CARE TO BRUSH UP IN IT. BRUSHING UP IS JUST WHAT WE NEED, MISS DEVINE, O'MALLEY BEGAN, TRAMPING ABOUT HIS ROOM EXPANSIVELY. I'M GOING TO BRUSH EVERYBODY UP. I'M GOING TO BRUSH A FEW PEOPLE OUT but i want you to stay with us of course you belong here don't be hasty now go to your room and think it over ardessa was beginning to cry and o'malley was afraid he would lose his nerve he looked out of the window at a new skyscraper that was building while she retired without a word at her own desk ardessa sat down breathless and trembling the one thing she had never doubted was her unique value to o'malley She had, as she told herself, taught him everything. She would say a few things to Becky Teitelbaum, and to that pigeon-breasted tailor her father, too. The worst of it was that Ardessa had herself brought it all about. She could see that clearly now. She had carefully trained and qualified her successor. Why had she ever civilized Becky? Why had she taught her manners and deportment, broken her of the gum-chewing habit, and made her presentable? In her original state, O'Malley would never have put up with her, no matter what her ability. Ardessa told herself that O'Malley was notoriously fickle. Becky amused him, but he would soon find out her limitations. The wise thing, she knew, was to humor him, but it seemed to her that she could not swallow her pride. Ardessa grew yellower within the hour. Over and over in her mind, she bade O'Malley a cold adieu and minced out past the grand old man at the desk for the last time but each exit she rehearsed made her feel sorrier for herself she thought over all the offices she knew but she realized that she could never meet their inexorable standards of efficiency while she was bitterly deliberating o'malley himself wandered in rattling his keys nervously in his pocket he shut the door behind him now you're going to come through with this all right aren't you miss devine i want henderson to get over the notion that my people over here are stuck up and think the business department are old shoes that's where we get our money from as he often reminds me you'll be the best paid girl over there no reduction of course you don't want to go wandering off to some new office where personality doesn't count for anything he sat down confidentially on the edge of her desk do you now miss devine ardessa simpered tearfully as she replied mr o'malley she brought out you'll soon find that becky is not the sort of girl to meet people for you when you are away i don't see how you can think of letting her that's one thing i want to change miss devine you're too soft-handed with the has and the never wasers. you're too much of a lady for this rough game Nearly everybody who comes in here wants to sell us a gold brick, and you treat them as if they were bringing in wedding presents. Becky is as rough as sandpaper, and she'll clear out a lot of deadwood. O'Malley rose and tapped Ardessa's shrinking shoulder. Now, be a sport and go through with it, Miss Devine. I'll see that you don't lose. Henderson thinks you'll refuse to do his work, so I want you to get moved in there before he comes back from lunch. I've got a desk put in his office for you— miss kalski is in the bookkeeper's room half the time now rena kalski was amazed that afternoon when a line of office boys entered carrying miss devine's effects and when ardessa herself coldly followed them after ardessa had arranged her desk miss kalski went over to her and told her about some matters of routine very good-naturedly ardessa looked pretty badly shaken up and rena bore no grudges when you want the dope on the correspondence with the papermen don't bother to look it up i've got it all in my head and i can save time for you if he wants you to go over the printing bills every week you'd better let me help you with that for a while i can stay almost any afternoon it's quite a trick to figure out the plates and overtime charges till you get used to it i've worked out a quick method that saves trouble when henderson came in at three he found ardessa chilly but civil awaiting his instructions he knew she disapproved of his tastes and his manners but he didn't mind what interested and amused him was that rena kalski whom he had always thought as cold-blooded as an adding-machine seemed to be making a hair mattress of herself to break ardessa's fall at five o'clock when ardessa rose to go the business manager said breezily see you at nine in the morning miss devine we begin on the stroke ardessa faded out of the door and miss kalski's slender back squirmed with amusement i never thought to hear such words spoken she admitted but i guess she'll limber up all right the atmosphere is bad over there they get mouldy After the next monthly luncheon of the heads of departments, O'Malley said to Henderson, as he feed the coat-boy, By the way, how are you making it with the bartered bride? Henderson smashed on his Panama as he said, Any time you want her back, don't be delicate. But O'Malley shook his red head and laughed, Oh, I'm no Indian giver. Century May 1918 End of part 16